invite you to get a Bible and join us. In a moment we'll consider Hebrews 10 and other verses as it relates to what Jesus came to do. If you're visiting this morning or, or a regular here, and if you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become one this morning. Now is an opportunity that you have from God to receive the blessing and benefit of why Jesus came to this earth and what Jesus did on this earth. Fundamental reason of the salvation of the souls of the lost is at the heart of the work of Jesus Christ. And the fact is, we've all sinned and fall short of His glory. We all need to be saved. So we would encourage you, if you're not a Christian, that this morning you would commit your faith to do what Jesus says to do, to be saved as He has made that available to the whole world. If you'll believe that He's the Son of God and repent of your sins, if you'll confess that He is the Son of God and be baptized into Jesus Christ, He will wash your sins away. Your past sins will be removed. He'll add you to His church and from this day forward you can live for Him, doing His will, following Him as a disciple and have the sure hope of eternal life by and by. We hope that that will be your commitment and your decision and we stand ready to help you in that. And as Christians, it's so important for us to continue to compare our attitudes, our motives, our actions to the Word of God. And when we find that we have sinned, to repent of those sins, to go to God in prayer and seek His forgiveness. And we encourage that uh, of each one of us this morning. If something's public that you need to correct, a sin you need to make right and seek God's forgiveness, seek your brother's forgiveness, we encourage that. Uh, if there's something private, we encourage you to take care of that privately. Uh, if you need our prayers, then we want to pray with you and encourage you to respond at the conclusion of the lesson. You know... Paul, uh, Mike said something concerning the Lord's Supper this morning, and I, I understand exactly what he what he meant. You know, we don't eat the Lord's Supper as some Church of Christ tradition, but out of a fundamental commitment of faith to to do the will of God and to remember the Lord's death. Let me apply that same concept to the end of our lesson. We will offer the Lord's invitation not as a Church of Christ tradition but because it is fundamental to the preaching of the Gospel. And we, and we encourage you to hear God's call and God's invitation and respond to it when this lesson is concluded. So, why did Jesus come to the world? What did Jesus come to do? Now, we can answer that in a very general way, as we've already alluded to and said this morning already. Well, He, he came to, to, to save the lost. He came to die on the cross. And we'd be right in saying that. Absolutely, we'd be correct. The Bible gives us more detail. It, it, it gives us more information that, that fills out our faith, that makes our faith fuller and stronger. And, and, and so that's what we want to look at this morning, is, is uh, some of the things that Jesus said were the things He came to do. Uh, it won't be exhaustive. In fact, as I was sitting there and as we were singing this morning, I just realized that, that I left out one. I'll bring it in, in at the end of the lesson. There's a lot of things Jesus said about why He came, but I want to introduce this thinking in this way, this, this study in this way, because you see, some, some have presented the notion that Jesus didn't really know 
why he came. That that he was unsure and he was uncertain and he was full of doubt and and uh, you know I I can remember I'm old enough to remember the 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 uh, rock musical Jesus Christ Superstar and it presented Jesus in that way. He was unsure. He didn't really know what he was all about. What all it, all of it meant. What a blasphemous message. Blasphemous message. Jesus knew exactly why he was here. Exactly why he came. He knew what his purposes were. And as we'll see, he fulfilled them. At 12 years of age, Jesus said, do you, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? At a very young age, he knew what his business was, and it was to be about his father's business. And I wonder what we think our business is on this earth. What business do we give ourselves to? At 12 years old, what business were we giving ourselves to? Well, we were just, just coming of age at 12. But, but what about at 22 or 32 or 42 or 52? What business are we about? Or at 72 or 82? Jesus knew why He was here. Do we know why we're here? We ought to. God created us with a purpose. The Bible tells us what that purpose is. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole of man. This is what our existence is about. Jesus leads the way. Jesus did not randomly appear on the earth. He came at a particular time of God's choosing to accomplish the purposes that God had. And He did that. Look at Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of the time came, had come. The fullness of time had come. Now it was time. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of, as sons. So Jesus came to redeem Jews and to receive Gentiles. That's His point. Those who were under the law, that was, that was Israel. Those to receive adoption as sons, that would be the Gentiles brought into the family of God as the book of Galatians discusses in detail. Jesus didn't randomly appear. He came knowing exactly why He came. He came at the right time to accomplish the purposes that God had. And, and you know, if we could just say that generally, that is the life that He wants us to live. He wants us to live under the purposes of God. We must make God's purposes our purposes. Perhaps we can better do that as we spend some time this morning answering the question, what did Jesus say He came to do? What did Jesus say He came to do? Well, Jesus said that He came to do the Father's will. That's a pretty general statement in John 6 and verse 38. But it's an inclusive statement. In John 6 and 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. That's a real problem for a lot of people. They, they, they want to do their will. They believe they're... We, we, we are tempted to think we're autonomous. We stand alone and we're, and we're going to do what we want to do and that's the way it's going to be. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't have that attitude? And why do we think He would bless us with that attitude? No, He said, I came down not to do my own will. He put His will under the will of the Father. That's why what He came to do. 
You, you look at that passage a little more and you see what He meant. He, he meant that I came to save and to secure, save the lost and secure them in that salvation and to bring about their resurrection unto eternal life. Look at verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me. Now he said, I came to do it. Now here it is. That all, uh, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. All that he has given me. Well, who did, who did the Father give the Son? Well, if you drop down to 44 and 45, you find that, that all of those who were drawn to the Son by the Father were given to the Son. Look, he said, no one can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. And it's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So the Father gave to Jesus those who would learn, hear and learn and believe on the Son. He does the same today. The Father is drawing people to the Son by the Gospel, the Word of the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we will come to Him in faith, having heard and learned His will, then we'll be saved. But He says God's will is not only to save them, but to secure them. That all He has given me, I should lose nothing. You see, the security of the believer is not that I can never so sin as to lose my soul, but as I am continuing to hear and learn from the Father and follow the will of the Father like Jesus did the Father's will, that I will be secure in my faith. So the question is, are you secure in your faith? Jesus will assure that you'll be saved. You'll not be lost if you're like He is doing, doing the will of the Father. Up on down to chapter five and verse, or over to chapter five twenty nine, and Jesus had already said that when the uh, the, uh, the last hour comes, those that are in the grave will hear His voice, and those that have done good to the resurrection of life. So we have to do good. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So we make a choice. The Father draws us to the Son, gives us to the Son. The Son saves us. The Son secures us as we do good. His good. His will. And He gives us everlasting life at the resurrection. That's why Jesus came. You see, a little more involved in it. And it bears upon you and me and choices we're going to make. Are we going to choose to come to Jesus? To be saved by Jesus? And to be secure in Christ by doing good that He reveals to us His Gospel, His will to have everlasting life. You see, Jesus is not independent of the Father. In chapter 5 and verse 30 of John, Jesus said, I cannot myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He had a fundamental motive of seeking the Father's will, not His own. And that fundamental motive drew Him to God's standard of righteousness, to God's will. He said, I'm not going to do anything of myself, but I'm going to do the Father's will. So, 
We encourage each of us this morning to make that our fundamental reason of existence here on the earth is to do the Father's will. Jesus said, Not everyone who says unto Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Jesus came to do it. And He sets an example for us to do God's will, do the Father's will, to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, to be saved, to be secure, and to be resurrected unto eternal life at the last day. Why did Jesus come? What did Jesus come to do in doing the Father's will? To save you, to secure you, and to assure you of eternal life. But you've got to do the Father's will. I've got to do the Father's will if we're going to have that salvation, that security, and that hope of eternal life. We can't just say, I'm going to heaven because that's the good place and I want to go there. No. Jesus came to make that possible by doing the Father's will. And so must we. Well, Jesus said He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. In Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18, uh, Jesus in that passage during the Sermon on the Mount, says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I do not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will in no wise or no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus is the aim of the law of Moses. He, is the, he, he was its objective. He's its purpose. That's stated in Romans 10 and verse uh, 4. Jesus, Romans 10.4, Paul said, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, really, what he's saying there is not when Jesus came, the law ended. Other verses teach that. The word end here is the idea He is the aim. He is the goal inside. He is the outcome of the law. He's the end of the law. He's what the law was pointing toward. He came to fulfill the law. And He did. And consequently, know what that aim is? For righteousness to everyone who believes. It was a tutor to bring us to Christ. You see, Galatians 3 teaches us the law was added to the promise given to Abraham that in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, the seed is Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.16 He's the fulfillment of the promise and the law was added till the seed should come. But you see, Paul went on to say, you know, that law is no longer binding because we're not under it. Christ kept the law without sin. He said, I came to fulfill the law. You know, the law identified sin and it condemned the sinner. But Jesus was sinless. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law. And in His perfect life, now He is a sinless offering for you and me. Look at Romans 10, verses 3 and 4. Now, you know, there's a, there's a, a false doctrine that has so infected Protestantism for and before that Catholicism for 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 over well over a thousand years, but Protestantism since its introduction that that confuses a lot of people and, and and they think well the righteousness of Jesus is somehow imputed to the sinner and the sinner is not ever really made free of his sin, but God sees Christ's righteousness instead of our our unrighteousness. 
Well, that's, that's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our faith is counted to us for righteousness. Romans 10 and verse 5, 5-7. So, so our faith is counted for righteousness. And so God sees our righteousness according to faith. Romans 1.17, that's what the Gospel's about. Well, Romans 8 said what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. What is it the law couldn't do because of the weakness of our flesh? Well, it couldn't save us. We sinned. It, it identified us as sinners. And it condemned us men as sinners, those who were under it. So what the law couldn't do, because it was weak through the flesh, God, by sending His own Son... What did Jesus come to do? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of flesh, of humanity, on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, Jesus didn't, keep, Jesus didn't keep the law for us. He kept the law so He would be equipped to be a perfect offering for us. He kept the righteous requirement of the law. And so now, rather than be counted sinful because of the offering of Jesus, our faith put in Him, we're counted righteous. Jesus came to keep the law. And by that, be a perfect sacrifice. He's sinless sacrifice to fulfill the law and the prophets. So we're not under the law of Moses today. It's not binding today. It's ended. We're children of God through faith, be it Jew or Gentile. Galatians 3, 24-26. So Jesus said, I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill the prophecies. Fulfilled the law to be an offering for sin. He fulfilled the prophecies. More than 300 of them about, about uh, Christ in the Old Testament. And He fulfilled it all. In Luke 24th chapter, He explained to His apostles. He, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. He said, I told you while I was with you that I must fulfill all the things written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And He did. As a Savior, as a King, as a prophet, as a priest, as the one whom God would send to save sinners. You see, our faith then must be in Jesus as the Savior talked about in the Old Testament because He fulfills that Old Testament law. He fulfills those Old Testament prophecies so that when the apostles preached the Gospel in the first century, they were demonstrating that the Christ would have to suffer and that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. The Old Testament said the Christ would, would, would suffer. And the life and words of Jesus identify Him as that very One. So He came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to to rectify it. He didn't come to, 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 to get them back doing what they should be doing under the law of Moses. He, he came to fulfill it, to accomplish it, and so to bring about righteousness through faith, not through the law. Well, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, didn't He? Matthew the 18th chapter, 11-14. through 14. Matt, If you look at that verse with me for a minute. 
familiar statement that Jesus said on more than one occasion. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek that which was lost. What do you think? A man has a hundred sheep. And one of them goes astray. Does he, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountain to seek the one that's strayed? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more than over, uh, over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, Jesus is warning against being a stumbling block in verses 6 through 9 leading up to this statement. Uh, and and that, that we need to remove those causes of stumbling uh, because God does not desire even one little one to perish. Why? Because His Son, He sent His Son into the world, and the Son came into the world to save what was lost. Not to obstruct those who are lost. Not to hinder those who are lost. The world is condemned in sin. Jesus came to save. That's what He meant when He said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Me might be saved. John 3.17, or that the world through Him might be saved. John said that. So so the world is condemned in sin. And our only means of salvation is Jesus. So, So Jesus came always looking for, searching for lost souls. That's what He was doing on this earth. Luke 15 when he was eating with the, the publicans and the sinners as, they, as he was teaching them there. And they complained about Jesus. Why is he eating with these people? Doesn't he know they're sinners? And he taught about the compassion of God and the value of a soul and uh, of the mercy of God and how God responds to those who return to him. Because, you see, Jesus didn't just casually cast away a single soul. Well, we need to be on the same sort of mission, don't we? See, Jesus was not on a seek and destroy mission. He was on a seek and save mission. Seek and destroy is is what you do to an enemy in time of war. But you see... Jesus came not to do that. And He had to teach His apostles it wasn't about that. In Luke the ninth chapter, when Jesus had set His face to go to Jerusalem and to go through Samaria, uh, you remember that, that uh, one of the villages wouldn't receive Him. They didn't want Him to come to their village because He's headed to Jerusalem. And you know, Samaritans and the Jews, they just didn't get along. You know, and, and like some people today, they just, don't, they, they just choose not to get along. Well... When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, you want us to command fire down from heaven like Elijah did? You want us to destroy them? Consume them all. So it's kind of take that. I'm afraid we're tempted, at least. We're tempted to take that approach to the lost. Just call fire down from heaven and burn them all. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Was Jesus being weak and compromising? Of course not. He understood that they were making a choice, a free will choice, and and yet He understood that His purpose was to try to save them. And He would continue His work. And He would try to save them. It wasn't the time of judgment then. There will be a time of judgment. But you see, Jesus came to seek and save. 
Brother, we can learn from that, can't we? What our spirit is, what is our spirit toward the lost? Really, that's to me that's the fundamental lesson for us here, isn't it? You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. What what, is, what kind of spirit are we toward the lost? They had their chance. Cast them aside. Or do we have the spirit of Jesus? Seek and save. You're going to save all? No, you're not going to save all. Jesus knew that. Even his disciples turned away. So let's don't become arrogant, but let's be responsive with mercy. Let's be responsive with the commitment to seek and save some through the gospel. Because that's what Jesus did. He came to preach. He came to preach a message that would save the lost sheep, even the one out on the mountainside astray. He came to seek that and save that one. And by the way, isn't that you and me? Isn't that where we were? On the mountainside lost? Well now, saved in Christ, we need to help seek and save others. Jesus came to do that by coming to preach. Mark 1, 38-39. So what spirit are we? Are we of the spirit to try to save? Try to endure? Try to persevere? Try to patiently continue to try to teach and save? Jesus was in Mark 1. 38 and 39, the verse says that, uh, well, they told him, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And he said to them, Let's, uh, let us go into the next towns that, they, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. He said, this is why I came. I came to preach, to proclaim well, what did he come to proclaim, to preach? He came to preach the gospel. You know, unfortunately, the world has developed an attitude, and it's a defensive attitude. I get it. They get an, they've developed an attitude that if you preach, then then you're self-righteous. Well, that's a defense mechanism on the part of of some because they don't want the message being preached. And so, if you preach to them, you're self-righteous. Well, Jesus came to preach. If we can follow His example of preaching and learn from Him about preaching and what He preached and how He preached it, then maybe we can avoid being self-righteous and at the same time accomplish the very purposes that God gives us because He tells us to preach the Word. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. He came to preach. He didn't do it self-righteously. What did He do? He preached a message of salvation. He preached a gospel. You see, the fact of the matter is when we preach the message of the truth and it's heard, if our heart is not to receive it, the good and honest heart, then we'll find all kinds of excuses to reject it. They did with Jesus. In Luke 4, when He was preaching the Gospel in Nazareth, His hometown, before it was over, they tried to kill Him. They're trying to, to get him to, to throw him off the, the side of the cliff. Because he quoted Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and he said, It's fulfilled today in me. He said, It's fulfilled. The verse said, The Spirit is a messianic prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus said, I came to preach. 
Now he's quoting Isaiah 61 that said of the Messiah, God's Spirit's on me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty, set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's talking about the bondage of sin. He's talking about preaching a good news, a proclaiming a Gospel that would save, bind up, and restore the soul and our spiritual sight and well, our spiritual health and well-being. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Luke 4. And by the way, as I say, before it's over, they're trying to kill him. They didn't like the message. They didn't want it. They didn't perceive him as Messiah. I want to listen to something else. What do you want to listen to? What do you want to listen to in your life? You want to listen to Jesus? He's the one that can save you. Luke 4, verse 43, He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Here it is. What did Jesus say He came to do? He said, I came, I was sent with a purpose to preach the kingdom of God. We've mentioned this before, but it's worth continuing to mention because of the influence among some brethren in churches of Christ who have been convinced by preachers that Jesus came preaching to Jews about how to be Jews under the law. He came preaching the law. No, He came to fulfill the law. He came preaching the Gospel. The Gospel of the Kingdom. The Gospel of the Kingdom of God is not the law at Sinai. He came preaching the good news of the rule and reign of God in His Messiah. That's what he did coming. That's what he preached. That's why he came. Well, go on with me. Why, he, Jesus had a lot to say about why he came. He said, I came to be a ransom for mankind. In Matthew 20 and verse 28, Jesus said, Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So he didn't come. As as a, a, domin, a, a domineering one to be a tyrant to be served to expect uh, that he said I came to serve and to give I came to sacrifice myself as a redemptive price a ransom from the freedom of sin's bondage he gave his life and that's where Hebrews ten is applied that we had in our reading this morning you know that what happened there. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 40, which is messianic, and it it, describes, it says that God prepared a body for the for for me. Now David's application, God, God provide, prepared him a body that he in which he wanted him to do God's will. Well, the Messiah came in flesh to do the will of God. And what was the will of God? Verse nine. Well, to take away the first, to establish the second. There's the removal of the law and establishing the new covenant. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus had a body to offer that would free us from sin's bondage, a redemptive price, and by that, establish His new covenant. His blood dedicated a new covenant, put it into effect. That's what we remember when we eat the Lord's Supper. He voluntarily gave Himself to this. He said, I give My life that I may take it again. 
redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So He came to pay a price of redemption. And we can be thankful, but now we're to respond to that because we're the ones who need to be redeemed from the power of the Gospel. I'm sorry, from the power of sin. It's the power of the Gospel that will save us from our sin. What did Jesus say He came to do? Well, He said, I came to bring conflict to the world. Now, this is the paradox of the Prince of Peace bringing conflict. He brings peace between sinners and God and between sinners and sinners who are at peace with God. And yet at the same time, He introduces conflict into the world. Look at Matthew 10 and verse 34 beginning. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. And yet that's how people always think about calls of peace. That Jesus, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Well, now, now how's, what's that? What, how in the world do you harmonize the angelic song at the birth of Jesus with this statement? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. Well, the harmony is that sinners who are enemies of God are brought, it, brought it into peace with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. Ephesians 2. And He brings those who are otherwise enemies together into one body, His church, so making peace. Peace with God, peace with our brethren in Christ. But you see, there's another kind of conflict that necessarily ensues. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Don't think I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. The sword here is figurative of the battle that we're going to have to wage to follow Jesus. Because you see, His message that He came preaching is so radical that it met with resistance then and it meets with resistance today. Amen. It's a radical message. You become a servant of your fellow man. You, you turn the other cheek. You don't seek vengeance. You love your enemy. You sacrifice. Rather, you serve rather than be served. That, those, were, those were concepts that, that were radical then. They're radical now. This is a quotation from Micah chapter 7 where Jesus makes the application to the effect of the Gospel. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. The person who chooses to follow Jesus will have conflict with those who reject Jesus. And we're supposed to fight that good fight of faith. Jesus came bringing peace with God. But in that peace, understand there's a battle to be fought. There's a conflict that's going to exist between truth and error, good and evil, and the will of God and the will of man and the will of the devil. Jesus came and in the bringing of conflict. He reminds us what we need to do in the midst of that conflict is to rely upon God. That was the rest of what Micah said in Micah's context. He said, therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So when, when enemy rises up, and, and family against family in one's family because of Christ, I will wait on God. He will hear me. I will be faithful to Him. Isn't that what Jesus is calling us to? 
to give up our own life, take up our cross and follow Him, lose our life to find it. Exactly so. That's why Jesus came. What did He come to do? He said He came for judgment in John 9.39. Now, I thought He said I didn't come for judgment. John 3.17. Well, He didn't come for condemnation. John 3.17. We're already condemned and lost in sin. What He says in John 9 is something different. In John 9 and 39, He said for judgment, the word here is the idea of decision. It's decision time for mankind. For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, that those who see may be made blind. We have to make a decision. That context for people who were making a decision to reject Jesus and the man He had healed deciding to follow Jesus as the Christ. Jesus on another occasion said, whose son do you think the Son of Man is? Who is the Son of Man? Whose son is He? Matthew 22.42 You see, Jesus came to put before all of us a decision. Will we listen to the evidence of truth? Will we accept the truth about Jesus, about His will, about the salvation He brings, about the offering He made, about eternal life or eternal death? Will we believe Him and follow Him? Or will we reject it? For judgment, I came into the world. You back? You gone down? Or, or uh, um, I'm sorry. Go back to verse 27. You see that some were rejecting him. Reject. They were making a decision to reject Jesus. Even at that moment, Jesus said, "I'm from. You're from beneath. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. Except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins." You see, the decision time is. Now, about Jesus, because the result is whether I'm going to live or die eternally. Whether it's going to be hell or heaven. Because if I reject His Word, John 12.48, His Word will judge me in the last day. And it won't be reward, it will be punishment. But He came to save me from that. He came to give me life rather than death. Jesus said, I came to give them, that they came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Spiritual life. We're more than flesh. We have an immortal spirit that's going to endure forever. And Jesus came to refresh that spirit. He talks about being the living water in John 4, 13 and 14. The water promised in the prophet Isaiah. The salvation for the soul. Refreshing the soul. Jesus is the bread of life. It gives us eternal life. We eat our food to sustain this life, but we've got to eat Jesus, metaphorically, to live spiritually. He said, I'm the bread that came, comes down from heaven. John the sixth chapter. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes in me shall never thirst. So will you come to him, take partake of him? and live forever. That's why He came. In John 12.46, Jesus said, I am come a light in this dark world. John 12.46 I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in Me should not abide in darkness. 
The life that Jesus gives is true light. Brother Adrian talked about, was it just last, uh, last uh, Wednesday, about the light being the light of the world. And that, you remember the Coleman lamps, you'd have to pump up because they're dim, and you had to pump it up, and they're dim. You had to pump it up. Jesus gives a light that never dims. Sin does not overwhelm it. The darkness does not overwhelm it. That's what He says in John 1, 4 and 5. Because you see, His light shows us the way out of sin. You know, the passage where Jesus said, I am the light of the world, is said right after He told the woman who was the adulteress, go and sin no more. He showed her a way out of sin. He forgave her. He was the light. He's the light for my life, for your life. We've got to seize His light and live by it. We've got to carry that as our torch, as our flashlight in the dark, if you please. See, Christians are sons of light. And so we be watchful and alert. And always allow Jesus and His truth to illuminate our life. If Jesus is not the light in your life, you need to turn the light on by believing in Him, by following Him for your salvation and your guidance. You see, Jesus came to do everything that He said He came to do. In John 17.4, before His crucifixion in prayer, He said, I have glorified You, Father, on the earth. I have finished the work which You have given Me to do. I've accomplished it so that on the cross at the end, He said, it is finished. It's accomplished. Yeah, He did exactly what He came to do. You know, one of the things He came to do that's not on the chart, He told Pilate before His death, I'm a king. To this end I came into the world. John 18 and 37. He said, are you a king then? Jesus said, you've said rightly, I'm a king. For to this cause I was born, and to this cause I have, for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. He came to be a king. And He sits at God's right hand now as king. King of kings and Lord of lords. Able to save you from your sins. Able to guide you to eternal life. You have to accept Him in faith. Follow Him in trust. Do His will. That begins by becoming a Christian. Repenting and being baptized. If you think Jesus, if you believe He's the Son of God, then act on that. Because you need faith that will save you. Not just faith that says it, but faith that lives it. If you'll repent, confess your faith and be baptized, He'll save you from your past sin. Then be faithful in your life. And if you haven't been, return to the Lord. He's merciful. He's looking for one soul that's lost and He's urging you to come to repent, to be saved. We want to help you do that. We encourage you to respond to God's call of salvation while we stand and we sing.